This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. So um, the plan is now is to get uh, Jason to come back up, uh, but also to get a couple of uh, kind of stars of the film to come as well. So um, if we can invite Dale and Jeremy and a big round of applause for the three of them coming up. Dale, I particularly like the picture of you hanging off the stairs at the... Uh, old Bristol. Bristol. That, that was a great picture. <laughs> Love the mic stand. So, um, I'm going to start with you, Jason, because this is your film, this is your work. Um, what did you find out at the end that you didn't know at the beginning of this film? So, what was the, the learning from it all? It's really hard to list everything uh, I learned through making this beautiful addiction. But the first thing that comes to mind is the enormous potential of a coffee bean. And this is a starting point of where you find a divide between... And there's a big difference between people who work in specialty coffee and those who don't. If it is well-grown, well-taken-care-of, well-processed, and then delivered to somebody who is passionate about roasting, then that person can bring out, through their roasting, they can bring out any taste you've ever imagined. And that was a big thing for, for me to learn. Then when that bean is given to a barista, a whole new set of possibilities open up. If that barista decides to compete... I then learned about the importance of focus because so much goes into creating a 15-minute competition routine. How dedicated you need to be is unbelievable. How many hours go in, how many experiments baristas go through, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours. You need to, to have the desire to prove something to your peers. But most importantly, what I learned is how much content Competition, how much competition contributes to the specialty coffee industry. And I think that's impossible to underestimate. Um, Dale, um, we've hung around barista competitions for a fair while and we've seen camera crews come and go. And a lot of the times, a lot of people won't know, these films never get made. This is a rarity for every one that actually comes out. I've seen 20 film crews going round. <laughs> What's it like to see that final product? Because I know you've seen it all the way through. Yeah. Um, what's it like to actually see the final product? Does it kind of bring back memories of that time? Is it excitement? Is it disappointment? So, like... Am what? I giving away the story? If I, see? <laughs> I, I don't, Yeah, I don't want to give away what happens, but it is an uncomfortable viewing. Um, bearing in mind that it's, you know, it's a beautiful film. It's a really... As you're watching, I think that, that fourth, fifth episode there where, uh, where Gareth is disqualified, the way those shots go there and you can hear like the time counting down, that's exactly what it feels like to compete if you haven't competed. Like regardless of the level you're competing at, that like impending doom and that absolute depression at the end of it, whether you're, like, whether you're successful or not, that's an accurate reflection of what it feels like uh, for everyone. So <laughs> it was... Watching it was actually a, a useful learning experience as well. Like if you've competed and 
to watch what it looks like from the other side is is always interesting. Um, but I was I was not halfway through practicing anything, so like I wasn't particularly wedded to the ideas anymore. And watching it was like, oh, those things still matter. <laughs> this is a good competition. We should all do more of this. So yeah. And and on the subject of like the film crews coming in, because say we see a lot of them come round, does it does it get in the way while you're doing the competition? And and like does it stop you being able to do what you want to do sometimes? I think when you look at London Coffee Festival, which has been the home for the UKBC finals for a few years, uh, certainly that year, 2014, there were I don't know seven film crews on the day of the finals, and there was a corridor that was you know three foot wide. And everyone had cameras, and everyone had recording equipment, and sometimes you just want to like go and swear in the corner or just not be filmed. Uh, I was lucky; I never had my own personal film crew. I think John had seven of them at one point, and, Ma- and Maxwell had five years of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and seven film crews and one film came out of it. So, yeah. I, uh, congratulations, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Jason, for uh, actually making a film. Um, so, Jeremy, I kind of. I'm interested from watching here from your perspective because obviously, I mean, you have competed in competition badly uh, and I should have kicked your ass. Um, but should, have, should have used a Chemex. <sighs> we don't talk about that. Um, but you're seeing two of your staff there. There are a lot of staff hours, a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of time going into it. Kind of watching back, do you have regrets about baristas competing in these competitions or do you kind of look back and go, wow, that was an amazing time? You can see the careers of Gareth and Heidi has... um, It gave them a kind of gravitas that they didn't have in the competition regardless of whether there was success in the actual event. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, if anybody ever has aspirations of emceeing, what happened up there with Gareth, never do. Like, when a guy's about to start crying on stage, don't ask him how it went. It's a fairly good time to back away from it. Um, you've also been on the other side of the table where you've been judging, and you've been at these competitions judging. Um, that experience of Gareth there, I mean, have you, have you had that before, and how do you handle that as a judge? Oh, well, you're not allowed to coach. I mean, it's quite... Strict no, no, the I, protocols. I mean afterwards. I know, but I mean, but as a as a judge, you're kind of wanting to go like. <laughs> you, the listeners can't see that action. That's me tapping my uh, the the, the uh, you know the old ticker. But it's it, it really is. <laughs> it really is. How many of those beers have you had? You know, when you can see someone getting disqualified and really all they need to do is just throw their hand up and say time or just bosh the last bit of milk in and forget the latte art, but just getting over the line. And something like 25% of the field is disqualified each year for time penalties, so it's very cruel. Yeah. Mm. Um, Dale, uh, one thing that I think came through in all of the competitors that were there was about a message. They all wanted to have a message. You know, with Heidi, it was the milk. You know, Gareth was very keen on the aromas and talking about the aromas. There are no points for this on a score sheet in barista competition, but how important is it as, uh, for a performance to have some kind of theme or end goal to it all? So there are, there are two ways of answering that question. Like, how, how important is it for the competitor and how important is it for the competition? Uh, in terms of... Scores, a good message will not score you more points. Uh, We've seen people win who have been really disappointed that their message didn't gain traction, or people who've won whose messages have gained traction, but it really doesn't make a difference. Um, 
it doesn't matter anywhere near as much as serving really good coffee. And everybody who's competed has served less good coffee on the stage than they serve in real life. Like, I can make cappuccinos, but I can't when there are four people sat there waiting well. for them. Sometimes. Like, I've, I've made two or three good ones, but never well. in a competition stage. Um, it brings out the worst of you, and you end up focusing about this, like, this all-important presentation or making sure that, you, like, you move your hands in the way that you want to move your hands. And all the points of it, like, was the espresso good and balanced and did it taste the way it was described? Um, that's not a bad thing. Like, every competitor will at some point go, well, these, these rules are fucking stupid because we should be caring about this message or this is a really important thing that's going to make a difference to our industry. And in reality, what baristas should do is make tasty coffee and be able to tell you how it should taste. It's a good skill to have. It's a good skill that can be measured. It's a good skill to use in a competition format. And every time you kind of book your little space to compete, you should sign up to that and agree to that and accept that if you fail to do that, you'll fail to be as successful as you like. Also, doing it in time. It's important. You should train them on that. <laughs> um, Jason, uh, outside of looking in at barista competition, like we talk a lot in the industry about we want it to be more accessible to people. We want people to come along and watch it and, and be involved. Like, how interesting is it for the outsider looking in? I mean, because you hung around it for quite a while and you saw lots of different aspects of it, uh, from heats through to world finals. And um, I mean, is it an interesting sport to watch? At the world level, I think it's very interesting to watch because, um, well, besides the characters, I followed, uh, besides Heidi, Gareth, John Gordon and Maxwell, I think of someone like William Hernandez from El Salvador, he was terribly exciting because his routine was so creative. He painted a Chemex filter with paint created from a cherry and he then used that or used his pour over through the Chemex filter for a signature beverage. And I thought that was, that was very visual and very, very cool. I think, um, I think that the movie is interesting to watch because we've distilled it down and put it together in an interesting way. That's what films do. They allow situations to be more compelling when they're compressed, um, as long as you don't lose the essence of your the truth. So I think it really essentially comes down to the emotional arc. If you engage with characters, it's interesting to you. I think one of the things I always find interesting when I talk to other people is films about coffee competitions are a great way of getting people to look because it's look at this freak show <laughs> look, at, look at all these weirdos who are really into coffee like, like even the titles it's very, it's very easy I mean you put the right soundtrack on it and it be immediately becomes a mockumentary mm. and you know then you've kind of I've, that's a failure and you know that's you're not helping anybody right? I wonder if it, if it is a failure though like if people start watching at that point and they pick up one of the one of the valuable things that are there. So like, and this is a thing that I do when I watch documentaries about strange people on Netflix is, oh, that's kind of interesting, as well as being really weird, but it's kind of interesting. And, well, coffee can be different. These guys are too much, but that kind of thing. Mm. Well, I think one of the challenges Jason found in marketing this, speaking to him, we should get him to talk more on this subject, was that major networks were looking for the salacious stuff like you see in... You know, like 
um, they have to go to the barista party Miss for that. Universe kind of <laughs> scenarios or dog training competitions, and it's there's a there's a lot of um, thrills and spills and tears, and they wanted to see that kind of uh, the strictly ballroom behind the scenes. I approached networks via two other producers, Mike Chamberlain and Di Robson. They contacted various broadcasters, but none were interested in financing a documentary about specialty coffee. It just didn't fit in anywhere. Some liked the idea of Coffee Wars, a more overly salacious reality-style documentary. I think they could have been sold that, but that wasn't interesting to me. Nor did I want to make a mockumentary. It would have been too easy and I think a disservice, really, in the end. I have a lot of friends in the industry and I just wouldn't do that. So the truth of the matter is that I never knew entirely what I was making, yet I knew what I didn't want to make. Intuitively, I always felt that there were enough compelling characters and an abundance of interesting information, and that between those two, something would come out that would hopefully be interesting to watch. So this is your chance now to ask uh, the, our panel some questions about this, because I'm completely out at this stage. Um, so would anybody like to ask any one of the panellists a question uh, about the film, about competition, about anything at all? And please don't leave me hanging. We have a certified world judge here. What were your impressions? Hello, guys. I'm also forced <laughs> to talk, so... That's what he does. <laughs> yes, uh, it's, it's good because I have the, the chance to talk. I wrote something down. that The barista competition did change my life. So I saw Heidi saying that you don't have to take yourself so serious. But I took myself serious and it really changed my life in a, a good way. Also as a competitor, because I earned a lot of credibility. And uh, it's a sport and it's a discipline and makes yourself more disciplined. <laughs> yeah. And um, also, if you are a barista champion, you can make other people's um, life better. It's not like it's, it's a sport with added value. It's not like cycling, for example. Or it's, cycling is also a, sport, a very good sport. But um, being a very good barista adds some value to others' life. You know, so if you're a very good barista, you change others' life also mm -hmm. because you're making them more happy every day. So, yeah. There was a very, he brought up a very interesting point there about one of the points Heidi makes in the film where she says, you know, I go home and I just, I get tired and I sleep. Um, like, how, how much time was she working when she was here? Like, you know, obviously working full days as well and then staying behind to work at night. Like, how much pressure does that put on you as an employer that you think, well, she, you know, she's doing all of these extra hours um, and then she's getting to the point she's going home and sleeping because she can't do the extra things she needs to for competition. I mean, do you feel pressure as an employer to give more time to the competition? 
I think you could probably argue that we overtrained that time. Almost overprepared. I think the score sheets would say differently. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, I think we've learned how to structure competition training in a better way. Like, I think um, during my own training, something that suddenly um, made it so much easier to, like, remember a script was, like, using a slideshow. And I knew that I had a kind of pacing to stick to. I just had to th- throw the words in. But I think... We took it more like we were writing a screenplay and it had to have this, you know, this great big beginning, middle and end and we were very theme-focused and I'm pretty sure you said that you don't get extra points for having a theme. So we were trying to make something much more poetic about the whole thing. So I think what we've probably learned from that experience is not to, not to make it like a six-hour session at the end of a shift, mm-hmm. like little and often. And, may, I mean, Gareth mentioned in the film... You know, I've been looking forward to this for six months. And that's literally how much effort he put into it. Um, And whether it came across on the score sheet or just in his, you know, in his future employment, he definitely got a dividend on that six months of work and it refined his thinking about coffee and the way he communicates. But, yeah, it, it need not have been so much angst and so much, you know, emotional trauma. So is Dale kind of going, going to you about the, a similar kind of question? I mean, how much time and effort goes into your barista competitions and how much is too much and how much is not enough? So how much time you actually spend physically doing anything is very different to how much time you spend thinking about a thing. And, like, it is an inefficient process. You spend, you know, six hours thinking about making a cappuccino and really, like, working yourself up into a state to make a cappuccino and then you make a shit cappuccino, and then you wash up the espresso machine kind of thing. And that is a productive weekend day right before a barista competition. But all the ideas that you have that you spend months thinking about, that might be while you're driving in the car or working in a shop or doing whatever. It's a long creative process, and if you're... Like, no masterpiece gets painted in a two-hour slot. So you, you need the freedom to be able to think about the things and work out what it is you want to do and... You know, I think, you know, I've been very lucky with my employees. He's okay, but he gave me time to, to, to work out what I needed to do. And I think that's what everybody who's, who's competing needs is they just need space to do it. They need some time where they can be free to think about what they're doing. And then they also need some time to develop physical skills. And actually, that isn't separate. You know, if you're working in a shop, you should be learning your technical skills every time you pull a shot. And that shouldn't be a new thing or an extra thing. Uh, there is little value in terms of winning, in terms of building this story or this narrative for your 50 minutes or your 10 minutes, depending on the competition. But there is value to the individual. You learn a presentation skill. You learn how to be uh, the opposite of verbose. I don't <laughs> to stop talking bullshit and be really specific uh, and careful with your use of words. Because not just in terms of time, but also if you use like poorly constructed sentences, you don't communicate well. And if you've got limited time and you have to do all these other things, what you really need to do is communicate well and efficiently. You need to get across the message you need the judge to hear so that they can score you well. Um, I was saying about how this is a thing that can help you improve other people's lives. This is a thing that requires a team. Like it's not, there is no single competitor who has done this all on their own. And the benefits are not equally shared 
but there are shared benefits. So like if you, if you are a successful barista competitor, your shop will get some attention. And then how that shop uses that attention is a completely different thing. They may use it well or badly, but people will come and look. If you're a successful barista competitor, you'll be offered opportunities and you can make use of those opportunities or not, and, but they're there. Um, I think that comes out later in the film, in later episodes as well, that there's more, you see more of the team and the back end that's behind the competitors, much more than you do in the first six. Well, specifically in both your cases and with the addition of Alejandro, I thought that was just fascinating. And I think that would have been really fun too, what you guys did. You know, essentially, and you get to see it in the episode, but you issued a challenge to the farm and the farmer. And you said, here's, a, here's quite a bit of time. If, what can we do to make these beans taste better? And that was part of your routine. And I just thought that that was fascinating and you know, fun as well. So the question is, was that fun? So like, this is kind of separate, but as we were walking, walking here from, the, from Houston, I got a message on WhatsApp from Alejandra. And regardless of whether the competition was successful or not, or we made good coffee or not, I built a relationship there because of this medium of competition. I, it, it led me to asking a question to one of our farmers, and he really engaged with it, and we've built a great friendship. But we've also got better coffee, a better coffee sourcing relationship. We, we have a better relationship with some customers who are really excited about when this coffee is coming back next year and, and issues like that. And all of us learned something along the way. Even if it wasn't the things that we wanted to learn, we all learned something along the way. Gareth learned some things. And Gareth, you know, I, I love Gareth. Gareth I met, like, years ago when he used to work in Liverpool. Uh, so I'm at Proofrock, now he's at Square Mile. Um, he's a perfect example of... He had this passion for this aroma idea, and competition led him to read more about it and watch videos. And he has an understanding of flavor now that is vastly increased because of the medium of competition. Like, the winning is irrelevant to that. You always benefit. Yeah. So, Jason, um, obviously you guys are going to go back and watch the rest of the film because I'm in it more. We want to see that. But what messages don't you get across in the film that you would have liked to? Are there things that you saw that you weren't able to get in? Because obviously you have... I mean, there's so much footage that's on the floor of the editing room. Kind of, I don't guess it's all digital now, but it's that, that kind of thing that you don't get across because you run out of time or there wasn't a way of getting the messaging. Is there anything that the uh, film I misses? I did go to Origin. That's what I would have liked to include in the series. John Gordon went all the way to Ethiopia to find three separate wild varieties of coffee. Um, separated that, they were separated on the same farm. This could only be found in that specific region of Africa. The trip, I think, would have helped demonstrate to what length some baristas go to bring something extra super special to the judges. In, in the end, we used some of John's photos, but I would have liked to have explored that in more depth. So, Dale, um, what's your take out from this film? What's the one message that kind of comes out at the end and kind of sell it to these people to watch the next six episodes? I think more than anything, if you're, if you're in the industry, and this, this is a nice documentary of the industry. Like, the, the episodes we watched were very coffee-centric, but the piece as a whole, you see that it's beyond that, and the competition is just a really good way into seeing what it is we do. And it, and it helps tell 
a lot of the more complicated stories in a, in a short window. Also, like, just those first ones reminded me of, of London as a, as a city, you know, that the UBF is a, is a perfect example. In fact, the, the picture I was in was not a UBF event, that was before that, that was from the, was the Taste, Taste of San of Francisco, it. I think. Uh, but, like, the, the individuals who've kind of shaped this community that's here now, and, you know, I see a few of those people here tonight, but I also see a lot of new people who, who weren't at those events, and, and they're kind of important because whilst we're really good at telling each other the stories about coffee and the stories about farms and, and particularly the stories about brewing and technology, we're really shit about talking about the stories about us as a community, as individuals who are growing and getting better. And then the shops, you look at the shops around London that have been there five, ten years and how far they've come and what they're doing differently and what they're doing the same. Like, you, DOS is a perfect example that's been there as a, as a London institution now. But it, I remember when it wasn't there. I remember when I went in and, you know, the, the brown paper menu roll was down there. And I said, this is a new thing. I want to order a dose and a Gibraltar. And the dose blew my mind-ish. <laughs> so, Jeremy, to give you the final word, because you always like to have the last word, I know. Um, why should everybody watch the, go home and watch the rest of this movie? Kind of sell it, sell it to the people. Oh, I'm going to watch it tonight, if possible. I'm going to go straight home with my download code and get into it. I, I feel so hugely proud to be uh, a part of it. And it's such an incredible buzz for me to uh, see all my heroes featured in this, this little... It seems like a tiny little microcosm, but this documentary makes it seem... You know, it, it makes it seem like we're in the Oscars. I think we had, <laughs> we had some real showbiz moments, and I kind of think we deserve it. And I can see... Big improvements from uh, the kind of techniques and the practices that are featured in that documentary, even in just two years. I feel like it's, it's probably easier for someone to compete and train. <laughs> yeah, we've given up tamping, <laughs> for example. Uh, which I wonder how that would wash in the, in the WBC, if you turn up with a tamping machine. Uh, so, yes, I think it's a... It's kind of a line in the sand for me, and I feel like it's really a particularly great archival piece to represent proof rock in the past. And I'm so glad also that there's still like that you've featured this story of the. It's a bit like the kind of grave digger scene in Hamlet. You know, you've got the comic relief, and you've got the <laughs> you've got the um, baristas that are emerging in their careers coming so much into the light and we can just see them develop. So it has it all, Jason. <laughs> My congratulations to you. <laughs> As always, I'm actually not going to give you the last word. It is a fantastic movie. I do encourage you to go and watch it. Uh, Jason will be emailing you tomorrow. Tomorrow you'll be getting it, uh, it in your inbox with a code on being able to download episode seven and then go watch the rest. And uh, it is a fantastic film and I do encourage you. Please a huge round of applause for our panel here. Thank you. <laughs> so now I believe it's time for hot dogs and for beer and for popcorn. So, um, yeah, we should go and do that stuff. Has corn. Thanks. I'd just like to say a big thank you to everybody who was here as well, everyone, for everyone for coming tonight, um, but specifically you guys for coming from Stafford and um, for all the support through all of it. Thanks so much.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.